Unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. And please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? It is I, Christopher Roush, your No Excuses Coach. I'm back here with another episode of What? The Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, the place where I help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. And I'm excited we are here tonight once again live. So if you guys are listening to this on the on the podcast, wherever podcasts are available, of course, um, this is actually a video cast. So if you'd ever want to check out the video cast, you're listening to this on the podcast, you can actually go into the podcast notes and you will see a link to YouTube where you can see my bright, beautiful face as well as my guest if I have one on the show. And you can actually watch this along and you can see the comments that are happening here live as we're doing the show. And it's something that I love to do. I love to do the show live. Uh, when I came up with the name Raw and Unscripted, it was something very, very intentional that I wanted to bring you guys raw and unscripted. We see so many podcasts and we see so many shows and we see so many things in life that make us feel like everything is scripted and everything has to be perfect and everything just has to flow. And you have to ask the perfect questions and all these different things. God's honest truth. I do. I don't want to be perfect. And I spent a lot of my life trying to be perfect for everybody else. And so now I bring you Ron and scripted. I bring you the you know, no excuses coach, because I want you guys out there in viewership land and listenership land. I want you to fly your freak flag. I want you to be who you are whenever nobody else is watching. I want you to be there and just be naturally yourself because the world is full of fake people. And now more than ever, we need to stand up and rise and just be who we are, be the misfits for life be a part of the Misfits for Life community. And I want to tell you guys a little story here as we get we get ready for uh, tonight's broadcast. We get tonight ready for tonight's guest. For those of you guys following me on social media, you guys know about three or four weeks ago, I had somebody hack my Facebook account and they posted a bunch of pictures of ISIS and I was placed in Facebook jail. Even though I appealed the decision I put in there that I was hacked, you could see that the Facebook login showed somewhere in, I don't know, Nairobi or some some weird place, some different place. Not weird. Sorry. Don't don't take that offensively, people. Um, and and still I was in Facebook jail. Then on Saturday, this Saturday, I go in and I comment on Friday night show. You guys know I do the unfiltered experience on Friday nights at 5 p.m. So I went in there to comment on the show because we didn't do the show live. We had to tape it. So um, I went in there to do the comments and I did that, interacted with people and left the Facebook app. 45 minutes later, I'm on my phone. I go to check out a message and it says that my Facebook account is a closed. So I know a lot of you guys watch this via Facebook, normal, my normal profile and also on LinkedIn. So this morning when I went to go in, get in or yesterday when I went to go get into LinkedIn, um, there was a problem with my uh, one of my posts or something like that, which I always post positivity. So it said that you have to upload your driver's license. So I did all that, but I'm still in LinkedIn jail as well. So I know that you guys are gonna be following this once it goes back live on the regular channels, but appreciate you guys being here, whether you're live or on the replay, whether you're on the podcast, I appreciate you guys being here. And I share that story with you because of this. If you have people that are important in your lives, connect with them, truly connect with them, get their phone numbers, get their email addresses. If you're somebody like me, who's in social media, who's, you know, an influencer, if you will, um, get people into your database list, database list. And that's something I don't do a great job of because I'm not about getting people into a list. I'm about connecting with people and serving with people. 
But I realized through this process of nearly having 5,000 friends on Facebook, I could easily have way over 5,000, but I don't accept everybody as a friend thinking about that. And, um, you know, just being, just thinking about the connections I could potentially lose if they don't reinstate my account, um, is just kind of a little bit crushing. So I just don't want you guys out there to do the same thing. So make sure you're taking care of that. Make sure you're connecting with people, giving your phone number out and, uh, having offline conversations as well. So, and we got Robert in the house. What's up? He says, believe in yourself, believe in yourself. Robert brokers in the house. Thanks you ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate you for being here, Robert. And I know we got other people out there watching and listening to us. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I want you to fasten your seatbelt for tonight's guest. I had the opportunity to meet tonight's guest uh, through a mutual friend uh, from the OWL app. And you guys have heard me talk about the OWL app. That's where you get paid for your expert advice. I'm a personal coach. I'm a life coach, uh, leadership leader. I can So I can go on there and give advice. People call me up and say, hey, Chris, I got to ask you a question about life. They tick the little bell and they start paying me and I answer their question. And if anything leads to further discussions, we could take them offline and enroll them in my group coaching program, my coaching programs or whatever. So I share that with you because uh, it's a great app. So connect with me if you want uh, more information on that. But a gentleman that was on the app, Will, had said, you need to meet this person. And I said, okay. And when I take people's recommendations, I take them at face value. I take them, okay, I need to meet this person. And when I met this person, I was completely blown away by her story, by her resiliency, by her attitude, by her compassion, by her empathy, by her forgiveness. So I, I want you guys to ask questions and engage with us as much as you possibly want to. But ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Ron Unscripted Show, Miss Elizabeth Samboon. How are you doing, Elizabeth? I'm doing amazing, Christopher. How are you? I'm rocking and rolling, baby. I'm rocking and rolling. It's raw and scripted. It's live. It's Tuesday night. We're alive. We're on the side of the dirt. It's great. And I have you here on the show. So I appreciate you for being for being oh, here. Thank you so much for having me. I was I'm so excited to just, you know, to talk with you again. It was I, I think we spent like what, like two hours on Owl just like talking yep. and getting to know each other. It was such an awesome experience. So I'm so glad to, to be here and to have this another moment with you. It's just such an awesome privilege. So thank you so much. You are most welcome. I appreciate your your energy and your enthusiasm and your excitement. Where are you? You're you're on the East Coast, right? I am. I'm actually in Canada, so I'm an expat. I'm I'm a U.S. citizen, and I relocated here 18 years ago as of this year, and so it's been quite a journey for me. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm still a U.S. citizen. I haven't quite converted yet. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's been it's been a journey. It's awesome. So yeah, it's it's Eastern Standard Time for me. Yep. Okay, so it's not too bad because I know there's parts of Canada where it's four hours ahead. Yeah. No. No. It's not. It's not quite that bad. It's so you're 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 10 o'clock at night. So you're not That's too bad. Fine. I'm a night owl anyway. It's all okay. Good. Perfect. 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 Well, I appreciate you being here. And just to get us kind of started off, you know, when you told me your story. I literally in the back of my brain was thinking, okay, this has got to be a made for, this has got to be a movie. This has got to be a book. Um, this is unbelievable. This is incredible. So in your own words, please share with the audience a bit of your story and then we'll kind of dive in from there because I know that people are going to be excited to learn about not only what your story is and was, but more importantly, where you're at today. So we're definitely going to be diving into that, yeah. but just please share a little bit of your story sure. and uh, a little um, bit about the formation I'll, of Elizabeth. I'll give you guys the Cliff Notes version because it's kind of long, but um, so I was born out of incest and rape. Um, my mother's uncle, so my great uncle had raped her, which then produced me. And then she was seven, she had already dropped out of school at this point. And when, when all of this had happened, and so, you know, she was, um, now during my conception, my aunt was murdered. And so my mom 
was going steady with my deceased aunt's fiance who died, who, who was murdered at 16. So my original birth certificate um, actually has his last name on it, even though there was like absolutely like no biological connection like whatsoever to this person. He was like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm just gonna like replace you because your sister is gone. And so, you know, small town Henrietta. So this is kind of what happened. Well, um, I don't know exactly when she met John, um, but I guess probably when I was like two and a half, um, she had met this guy and I really didn't like him. And she had kind of forced me to like attach. And I was like, I was sitting on the bed and I was like, I don't like this guy. And she's like, well, Mary- At two like, and a half, you knew this? Yeah, I was like, wow. I don't like him. And she was like, well, you have to like him. Like he's providing for us. Like I need the money. Like, you know, we're going to be completely broke without him. And I was like, are you really sure? I'm like, I'm like debating this with her. <laughs> I was super smart. And I was like, are you really sure? Like I have to do this. And she said, yes. So kind of sat on the bed. I was like, all right. So I skipped off on my bare feet and I had, he was watching TV at the time. And I had reached my arm over like this. And in the middle of a commercial, he ended up burning the underside of my arm with like a cigarette and had laid it there for a few minutes. My mom took me to the emergency room in Henrietta. The doctor there was like, Linda, this isn't an accident. She has a third degree burn. But because I delivered her, you, and your mom, I'm not going to report it. So he's like, I should be calling the police now, but because I know your family intimately, I'm just going to send you back. Well, the guy, um, he took it as, oh, well, I can kind of pretty much do whatever I want with her and nobody, I don't have, I don't have consequences. Oh, wow. So then what happened was I think a couple of weeks later, um, sun was going down. It was around sunset. And my mom had told me, I disobeyed. I disobeyed. Um, I'm kind of a rebel. And she had told me to stay in the room. And I was curious because it was summertime. And I was like, yeah, I don't need it. No, why? Why am I going to obey, right? So I skipped out in my lace nightgown. And I had come into my room. So I was sleeping in my mom's room. And I had come into my room. And a whole bunch of people were exchanging money. And I got curious. And I was like, oh, money. Oh, I want money. So I gingerly, like, asked them. And I was like, hey, guys, like, I want some of that, too. And he was like, well, you will if you do X, Y, and Z. So and how old were you at this point? How old were you? Three. I was three when this happened. Wow. So then what happened was. On so many levels. I was. <laughs> curious because I was curious and because you know I was like oh you know money for whatever reason um they ended up hog tying me and gagging me and ended up raping me and I was being sold at that point I was sold for a year and uh everyone in Henrietta knew about it um people had I um there was some blood in carpeting and I was stamping my feet and I was really, really mad because I couldn't find my blood anywhere. 
like my blood had disappeared and I was just really curious because I knew that like before it was there and now it was gone. And so I was demanding the big people that were around me in this massive circle. And I was like, mommy, mommy, where's my blood? Where's my blood? Where is my blood? Like, I'm trying to like, like show her, like I'm trying to like figure out like what happened to my blood because like it was, it like had vanished or whatever. And he was pulling out carpet from this closet. And I was like, no, my blood, my blood was, was there and it's not there anymore. And I was very confused by this. And who are you talking to? Just adults. Okay. Adults. I was just talking to adults. There was like a couple of adults in the house and I was just talking to adults and I was trying to figure out where my blood had gone. So somebody that small town, so somebody had gone to my grandmother's house and they're like, we know that she's being trafficked. She's wearing pads she's bleeding profusely she's complaining of stomach aches now she's like wondering where her blood is on carpet and we need to do something so somebody had reported me to the child protective services of um of henrietta my mom freaked out so she she had to make a court appearance with us and if she didn't make the court appearance we were going to be immediately removed from the house so what happened was, is um, there was a massive fight between her and this guy. I got mad because he was getting abusive to my mom and I bit him to the point that I drew blood. Wow. My mom told me the story. She's like, I don't know how the heck, like, I don't know. Like, he's like, she's like, I had a suspicion that he was molesting you, but like, that's as far as that she knew. And I ended up biting him really hard. And like, he had like a scar and stuff. Like there was like blood coming out of my mouth and a whole bunch of other stuff. So we ended up moving to her uncle's house, a different uncle, and he ended up, so it was him, my aunt Luann, and my cousin Darla, which was her cousin. And so we were staying there and we were getting beat pretty bad. Um, I was cooking eggs on the stove one time and they had gotten mad at me for cooking eggs and they had poured the grease on me um there was a lot of there was like a lot of abuse that happened there was a murder that happened um i witnessed my very first murder when i was i think i was around three and a half maybe four i witnessed my first murder my her uncle had first. yeah my first murder. <laughs> it's like yeah we all see murders yeah your first one out of the way we thought keep that one out of the way um, so what happened was, is he had bashed her head against the, the tub and he had killed this random girl in my bathtub. And so I was freaking out trying to find cloth to like, kind of like, I remember the brain matter and it was just, there was so much blood. There was so much blood. And these adults are like laughing at me because they they essentially know that like there's something that I can do. But for some reason, I felt like I had like the superpower that I was going to be able to save her, that I was going to be able to stop the bleeding. And so she called me over and she was like, Mary, she's like, don't bother. Like, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to heaven. And I was like, well, can you take me too? And she's like, no, 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 no. Like, she's like, you're too little. And I was like, I don't care. Like, I, I want to go now. Like, what, you know, what, what kind, like, I was basically asking her, like, well, what do I have to do to get there? And she's like, well, you have to get older to die. She's like, I just need you to hold my hand. And I just need you to be with me while I go to heaven. And so wow. I remember, Jesus. 
holding her hand. She passed away. Cops had come into our house. One was dancing with me in the living room and he was distracting me as they were taking her out on the gurney. And I remember the gurney because it's not like the gurneys that we have now. It was like one of those that you actually had to press to like elevate or to lower it had like, like the metal frame and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there was like this really weird, it wasn't a plastic bag, but it looked to me like it was plastic. It was black though. And I realized that she was inside this black thing because I saw her arm fall out of the, the, the black, like the, this black covering that was, you know, covering her. Right. And I could see it. And then the cops were asking my uncle, like, what happened? And I was like, liar, liar. Like he killed her. And they looked at me and they're like, well, what is she talking about? And he's like, oh, no, you know, she's just a stupid kid. Like she's just imagining stuff. And I remember like the one cop that had been dancing with me in the living room, he looked at me and he's like, tell me what happened. And then I just shut up and I didn't mm. say anything. I didn't say anything. Well, a couple of months after that, my mom was starting to have serious issues. She was having to have serious issues with my brother and I and she just walked into adoption services associates in san antonio and i think because i was running away already um so i was like packing like food like can openers and food and underwear and clothes and i would just go on my little adventures with my brother well this one time i had gone so far that i ended up past southwest military drive in san antonio and i had actually gotten onto a major highway and a wow. truck driver had seen me walking and he was like well what's your name i didn't know he's like well what's your mom's name i didn't know what's your address i didn't know and so he kind of i guess knowing that like these were like the only houses there because this part of the town in in that in that time frame hadn't been completely built up yet so he turned around and he was literally knocking on like all of the doors to see who who i belonged to and i think because i wasn't staying put because in my mind i was like well at least we're not getting beat and my brother is safe and i struggled like i honestly struggled like feeding him because like like i could feed him but the you know changing his diaper and stuff was like super complicated for me for some reason like I could do like when he would pee I could take off the pee ones like really easily because it was it was like easy but for some reason like I couldn't manage to get the ones that like were when he had like a bowel movement I couldn't get it off like cleanly and I would get like poop everywhere and like they would beat me for it because I wasn't doing a good enough job and how old were you during this time or like I just I don't know like I couldn't figure it out I could figure out how to change the pee ones and I could figure out like where the tabs were and stuff but I didn't know like I couldn't do like a poopy one like you know perfectly and so I would get beat for that and then when he would complain that he was hungry I would get the bottles from the cupboard I would put and the jug I remember was like super heavy for me and I would try to like put the milk inside the bottle but I couldn't. So I was like, well, this isn't going to work. So then I would put the bottle on the floor and then try to put the milk inside the bottle and it would just like, you know, make a mess. And so then I would get beat for that. So my plan was if I just ran away, you know, he would be safe. I would be safe. The adults wouldn't be, you know, yelling at me all of the time. So 
around, I guess it was like May, um, my mom was sitting with me on the steps and she's like, I'm, you're going to a new family, but I didn't understand like what was going on. And so the lawyer, um, Linda Zuflat had put us into her car and then all of a sudden now I'm in a hotel and I'm eating brownies. It was really good succulent brownies with like hot fudge sun. Oh my gosh, it was the best thing. It was like, I just remember because I had never tasted something so good in my entire life. But the wow. problem was because I was being so starved. I couldn't keep anything in my system. So I was throwing up, not because I was necessarily bulimic, but I was throwing up because I was starved and my stomach just could not handle food. So this family is like freaking out. They're like, why is she throwing up ice cream? Like, what's wrong with her? And like, I wasn't keeping like meals down, but they ended up adopting me. They ended up adopting my brother. They flew us from Henry, Oklahoma. And then we got to fly into the Big Apple and like, we're like seeing all of these lights and bridges and tolvus. And it was like, wow, this is so cool. And because of my nerves, she was freaking out because then I ended up throwing up on the plane. And so she was not too keen about that. And then, um, I witnessed another death after we had gotten adopted because two days after we got adopted, his mom that was living in the house had ended up passing away. So then I experienced another death. Wow. So there was this kind of this combination thing and going in my mind that I just caused people to die. Like I felt like my presence like brought death, but you were going to ask me something. So go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm oh, listening right okay. now. I've got, I've got a bunch of questions to ask you, but oh, I'm just, okay. I'm so just letting then, you share your story right now because even, even, uh, even Robert sitting here saying goes, uh, just a little freaked out listening. Cause <laughs> I warned you guys, I warned you guys. So yeah, so, let's, let's, so let's anyway, tell the story and then we're, then we're yeah, going to get to where so, you're at today. Yeah. So what happened was, is, so I had bulimia and the way that they fixed my bulimia was they didn't know really what was causing it. So they forced me to eat my own vomit to to make it stop and and that worked you know my dad was a vietnam vet so you know he was like well you know what this is probably what we do in a pow camp and so he's like just force her to eat her own vomit and it'll make her stop i stopped wow many christmas that's not <laughs> so that's that was not... that was extreme i remember that um and then it was just i don't know it was just I just, I, I was just unattached. I was just an unattached kid and it didn't matter like what they did or didn't do. I just, I just couldn't attach. Like I just was not bonding. My brother was bonding because he had that opportunity to bond with me. And then of course, stupid childish me, I'm like mad at my brother for bonding to my mom. And I'm like, mom, right? yeah, because I'm like, dude, like, what is this? Like, I'm getting replaced. And so I was go like, when they first adopted us, I was so jealous of her that I was like biting him out of anger because I was jealous. I'm like, I felt replaced, you know, and I didn't know it at the time, but I'm like, yeah, I, I was jealous because I was like, I was this kid's everything. And now these other big people, you know, who think that they know everything are, you know, taking my space and they're taking my brother and they're hogging him. And I didn't like that. I was very protective of him. And I was, I was mad at him. Like the poor little gaffer man, I was just like taking like chunks of skin off and they're like, Oh my gosh. Like she's like violent. I had no table manners. I was just like right off, like 
you know, you see these movies of kids. And so they had, you know, they did, they, they sent me to some psychologists and stuff, but I was smart. I knew that they wanted me to talk about me being trafficked, but because my trafficker had threatened my family and my brother and myself, I'm like, no, you're not, no, you're not no. going to get this information out of me. Like, I mean, they were prying it out, but I think if they had put me under hypnosis, I think the huge secret would have been out. Right. But I was like, I'm not going to surrender this. So they didn't understand where these weird behaviors were coming from. They didn't understand why I was causing all of my Barbies to drown in my pool. Like I had a Barbie pool and I was like killing off all of my Barbie dolls. And like, they're just like, wow, she's like super morbid. Like what is wrong with this child? And so as the years progressed, they're just like, they didn't want a teenage pregnant daughter. And so they're like, okay, we don't want you anymore. And so when I was 11 and a half, they just surrendered me. They left me in an airport and were like, okay, we don't want you anymore. And they left me in an airport with a complete stranger. And they're like, we don't want, we, we want, they actually asked the agency for a refund. And they're like, this is the worst $25,000 investment we ever made. We could have bought like a Corvette for the price that we paid for you. You're so not worth it. They cut my pictures out of like my head out of pictures to prove that they were serious about putting me up for adoption. Um, for adoption again. Yeah. So that, yeah, they did. They kept my brother, but they're like, we don't want you anymore. But and they, they surrendered down, you in an airport. Yeah. They left me, at, they left me at the Charlotte airport. Was with, there an adoption agency there? Or yeah, there, there was an adoption agency person there, but it was basically like my dad checked me in and, um, he kind of said a quick hello to the lady that was standing there and hugged me goodbye and left me there. And I didn't know what to do because like, I didn't want to cause a scene. Like I wanted to go after him and say no, but I didn't want to make it difficult for the lady that had been picking me up because I thought that that was going to be too tra traumatizing for her. So I just sort of stayed in this like status state of right. being completely numb because I didn't know what to do. Right. So it was funny though, because the first day that they adopted me, I ate ice cream. And then that day I had begged her to get me ice cream for breakfast. Like for some reason I was just craving ice cream. And so I ended up getting ice cream at the airport. I remember that. So then I was in a group. So, so you're 11 years old. So you're 11 years old. You're being adopted again. So the adoption agency has got you or your new parents have you. No, I go to, I go to a group home. So I'm, I'm in, in like in a, in a holding space. Okay. So, years old. Uh, yeah. So I'm 11 years old. I go to a group home and I realize that I'm the only virgin in the entire group home. Like everybody else has had sex. I didn't know what sex was. Everybody was like experimenting with other, other people. I had gotten sexually assaulted in the group home by another girl who was much older than me. And so this was like quite normal. Like I learned how to commit suicide properly. I learned what semen was. I learned where babies came from. I learned what an erection was. Like I just learned it all at 11 and a half. And it was like, I was very knowledgeable about how to run away. I knew how to hotwire a car. I could get away from the cops. Like this is, this was like, this was like adult schooling. Like this is, this is what I learned. And it was just, it was quite the experience. And it was it, like, it was just, um, 
But I have to ask you a question. So yeah. being trafficked and being being smart at four years old, how did you not know what sex was? Because I had blocked it. Oh, okay. I, I had just completely blocked it from my memory. Like there were things that um, that were coming up with the family that they're like, we think that she has been sexually abused. There were there were doctor reports stating that I had been seriously sexually abused because I remember going to the doctor after they first adopted me and she was like, I wish I could just put a sign that says you're adopted because this is really embarrassing. Like, I remember that and I didn't know what it entailed, but I knew it had something to do with my body and I knew that it had something to do with something that they had found on me. And I just knew that for some reason, every time she took me to a doctor, she didn't like it because it made her look bad as a mom. Mm. So there were signs in the group home. Yeah. So, and, and even like in, in my first family, like that had happened. So then I'm, I'm in this group home and, um, I was angry with my agency, um, because I was, very keenly aware of how much I cost a family with psychiatric bills, food wise, clothing wise, like I knew that kids were extremely expensive. And I knew that I was probably more expensive than most kids, because I had like all of these things. And like, I was on Ritalin that costed a lot of money. And so I knew that my upkeep was like, astronomically high for an average child. So my agency so there was a family that was sponsoring me but i made it very 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 clear to the agency that i did not want this family to adopt me because they were not financially secure enough to have a child that had astronomical needs like mine and i was mad at my caseworker and i was like no you are not going to put me with this family because they cannot afford me. If they cannot afford the $10,500 adoption fee, they are not going to be able to afford my $150,000 psychiatric bills that are going to come at the end of the year. I said, please do not do this to me. And she was like, she was stunned. I mean, she, she was like, you're not supposed to be thinking about this. Like you're 11 and a half. And I was like, right. But I know better. So don't do this to me. I'm like, they can't afford another room. Like, it's just, this is not going to work out. Well, it came down to finances and I knew that it was going to come down to finances. So what they had said was they had waived the $10,000 adoption fee. And I was mad about that because my first family paid $25,000 for me. My second family like got me for free. So I knew that my worth level was shifting like i wasn't worth as much as a baby and so therefore i wasn't as valuable and therefore i i wasn't very much on demand for somebody to want a kid like me so i was freaking out so out of all of this what was the breaking point because you're 11 and we're we we got we got another 25 minutes so i'm thinking like we gotta rush we gotta rush the story so, 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 so what, what was, what was, what was like the biggest thing out of your first 18 years? I mean, talk to us about the next, you know, six or seven years. What happened? All right. Next? So my parents were in a cult. We go down to Brazil. I watch a whole bunch of kids that are dying because of bad water. We come back. Uh, they kick me out for wanting to go to normal school. Um, they try to get me into prostitution and just leave me on the streets of San Antonio they kidnap, I get married at 19. They kidnap my first two children. 
I then moved to Canada and I feel like I'm kind of free, but I'm like not free. And then halfway through a very good marriage, I found out that I have been sexually trafficked and this is why I wasn't able to attach. And this is why I ended up losing my second family. So then I was grieving from that, but I was able to maintain everything because I was a really good mom. But then when my son started school, I had all of this time to think. And so then I was suicidal for four years straight. And so I had to like, you know, figure it out. Well, I figured it out. I decided that there, there had to be like, there's no, okay. There's no how to guide for dummies on how to survive sexual being sexually trafficked to three. There's, there's no guide for that. You can't, you can't find that, you know, gorgeous yellow book with the funny looking guy on it. Like, <laughs> right. how to survive, you know, how to survive this. So my family had connections with Holocaust survivors throughout my childhood. And I was like, aha, there's keys in here. So for six months after I went through severe psychiatric help, I went through PTSD rehab. I realized that, you know, none of this was my fault, that I was just a complete, you know, victim of circumstance and that I had to learn how to attach and, and get all of these keys. I spent seven and a half months watching Holocaust survivor stories on YouTube. Wow. And that's not, that's not entertaining. I dug and Ooh. dug and dug and dug. I watched Christopher, I watched autobiographies. I watched all of their interviews. I did this for seven months. And I was like, I, I was, I was taking notes. I was writing. And then I realized I can transcend it all. And I was like, all I have to do is forgive and realize that there's a purpose for my existence. And then I, I was free. And then I was like, okay, I want to become a life coach. So I put myself through college and did a life coaching course. And here I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> look, at, look, at, look, at, look at Robert. Robert, Robert has never, Robert's never said his mouth is hanging open. Yes. He had like, damn, blah, blah, blah. I think, I think this might be Will. Will says here, Elizabeth has taken her traumas and turned them into massive triumphs. She is an incredible person. I'm guessing that is Will. That's uh, well. Thank you for being yes. here, Will. Um, yes, yes. I'm, I'm, th th this is what I was telling you, Robert, when I met her and I heard all this, I was just like, uh, what? Okay. So you, you mentioned empathy and forgiveness. Yes. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm process. I'm still processing everything you just, just said. And the thought of empathy and forgiveness does not really come into my brain at this point in time. You know, I know it does, but talk to us about that. How did you okay. go back? Talk to us about the specific empathy and forgiveness for each person or was that type yeah, of, for how, sure. how was that? So, I mean, like I, your original mom, let's talk about your original mom. Okay. First. So for my original mom, I was able to digest it a little bit because okay. I was what like, is digesting what is it because I mean, people, people are going to be wondering this shit like, okay what is so that? how did she do I, this I how did she do this it was like i was conceived out of rape which meant that my production brought her pain and maybe the reason that she wasn't able to give me complete protection and complete love is because i was i murdered her childhood and I was like, okay, that makes sense. I can forgive that because her, my existence crucified things that she wanted in life. And I can't really blame her for that because maybe that's just what kids do sometimes is, is they crucify dreams. So I was able to compartmentalize that. So then when it came to- okay. do you have Do you have a relationship with her now? I don't. Okay. Um, something really tragic happened and 
Um, I'll give you kind of the brief details. So when I was 18, I had gone back to live with her. She ended up abandoning me at this farm. She was supposed to come back at a certain hour. She did not. I was left at home alone in this, like, have you ever seen, like, The Wrong Turn or, like, one of those, like, really scary movies where, like, you feel like you're, like, the place is, like, haunted? Yeah. I, I was abandoned overnight with five children, like, all of my siblings. And the cops were called. NCPS was called. There was, like, no food. There was no, like, there was nothing. And so they were removed immediately. Well, she blames me for that. I didn't do anything. I was just left alone there and I had called to get help. And the people that I ended up getting help from ended up doing a, they did like a quick, like, like house thing where they go in, see if there's enough food, see if there's enough clothing, see, and there wasn't anything like that in the house because my parents had gone, my mom and my stepdad had gone to Henrietta, because we were living in Alec, Oklahoma, which is right outside of Chickasha, they had gone to get a settlement. So they were mad at me because they're like, oh, you're a bad babysitter, like, you know, whatever. They're, they're, she, her life has not ever been complete. But anyway, I was able to figure forgive, forgive her for that. My trafficker, um, that was a little bit more complicated. And I feel kind of bad for saying that because I feel like it should have maybe happened faster. But I realized that sometimes forgiveness is an onion. And so I had I had originally forgiven him for that. But then it was like, there were like a lot of layers to it because my relationship failures and, you know, my inability attached had, had, had come from this. And so, but I guess the way that I had perceived it is because I look to giants that have forgiven way bigger than, than just being sexually trafficked because in the scale of things, being sexually trafficked at three really isn't that big of a deal, right? Like when, when, you, when you're comparing it to like Nelson Mandela or you're comparing it to a Holocaust survivor, like it's kind of probably like a one or two on the scale, right? You have to look, you have to, you have to see things from like a big, big, big point of view and a very big scale when you've gone through a lot of trauma because you have to look at giants that have gone through way worse than you to be able to do this. But I've read in trauma treatment, you don't compare traumas. There's not, you don't. No, you're not supposed to, but this yeah. is, this is how I did it. Okay. I'm not saying that this is like the right okay. thing. To do. <laughs> It's like you know, I used to compare like, oh, well, I was homeless, but you you went through this, and then people no, tell me like, you, know, you were homeless. You're not clients. I didn't do this. I don't do this with my clients, but I was. I had to. I had to do this for myself because I didn't go through school yet. I hadn't even. I hadn't even. I hadn't done the school part of of trauma, so this was just my way of like okay. looking at it, right? I had gotcha. to, I, Elizabeth's my, way of of, of processing. Yeah, it. I had to. I had to process it a little bit differently than most people. So when I was looking at Holocaust survivors and when I was looking at Nelson Mandela, I realized that I would be chained to this person forever if I didn't forgive. Yeah. So I had called up my biological grandmother and I was like, can you please send me my trafficker's photograph? And she was like, well, what do you want it for? And I was like, I want to hang it on my wall because I said, if he ever gets, you know, if he ever gets to go to heaven or if he ever gets forgiven, I want him to know that it was the child that he trafficked and took note photos of with other children that she was praying for him. And that's what led him to a better life. And so I had it in my mind that I had images of maybe what his childhood 
was like, and I broke because I became sad because I wondered what had he gone through right. to cause this. And I was like, then I had to forgive his family. And then I had to like, and it was sort of like this whole wow. train of like forgiveness. And I just felt horrible for him because I was like, if somebody had just said that he was loved, if somebody had just held him, if somebody had just been that safe place for him, then probably he wouldn't have done it. And so in my brain, I was like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay for him. It's going to be okay for me. And I was like, you know, and, and I'm like, you know, a part of me wanted him to go to jail to, to kind of, you know, come to that recognition. And I was like, I don't know if that was mean or if that was just, you know, my way of trying to prevent him from hurting other kids, but I just broke not for me, but for him and for, you know, this whole genealogical line that had, that had gone through that. Um, I realized for my dad that left me at the airport, um, well, as a kid, you know, when you're married, it's sort of like, I realized that he probably had to choose sex over parenthood. And I'm like, that's a pretty big decision to make as, as a guy to like realize you're going to either lose your wife or your daughter or your other kids. And I realized that I couldn't compete with sex and I couldn't compete with that. And I was realizing like he probably was in a really hard spot. And so I was able to justify it and be like, you know what? It's okay. Because, you know, my, my, brother and my sister, you know, their natural daughter got a really good life because of his job. And if it meant being able to salvage their amazing lives, it was okay that I was sacrificed. And so that's how I was able to forgive him because I was like, it's not, it's not really about me. It's about the stories that happen even after we're gone. And so I was able to kind of compartmentalize that as well. Um, my mom, at that point, I was able to forgive it because I realized that she had had a lot of trauma. Her dad had died. Her brother had been killed in a car accident. And I realized that she had probably a lot of trauma. And, you know, I feel kind of bad because, you know, she had, she had, to, she had to deal with two dreams that just weren't coming to pass. She wasn't getting pregnant. And then she adopted me thinking like, wow, this girl is going to be so appreciative of the fact that I got her out of the throes of poverty and all of this kind of other stuff. And, and I feel like part of her had to have died that day as well. And then I felt bad because I realized that she was going to be going through treatments and trauma therapy and her own, her own journey of pain. And then I felt bad because I was like, this isn't what she signed up for either. So then Have I you ever reconnected with her? Do you have a relationship with her now? I wrote her a letter. I wrote her a letter and I told her that, you know, I told her that I forgave her. I told her everything that happened. I told her why I wasn't able to attach. And I said, I just really hope that you have a very good life. And so um, my parents, hmm, that's complicated. Um, I, 
I had to see it like I had to see it the fact that we want we want kids for selfish reasons. We want kids because we want we want the journey with them. But in reality, they're really an entity apart from us. Their stories are sometimes apart from us. And I realized that even though my parents had kidnapped them, I realized the fact that they were wanted, the fact that they were conceived in love, the fact that they were conceived in a marriage, the fact that you know they had this beautiful story that nobody could really take that away from me. And so there was, there was solace in that. And when I compared it to eternity, I was like, okay, God, so they get like different parents and they get like these other amazing stories without me. And somehow that was okay. And as much as I was really angry with my parents because they were doing this like kind of like this push and pull and they were using them as objects to get me to do what they wanted. That was really painful because I was like, can you just love me just because I'm existing and they couldn't ever do that for me. But I realized that my parents also had trauma. You know, my mom, like she had a really horrible dad that had like a massive gambling addiction. And my dad grew up with a really abusive alcoholic father and he really slid down into alcohol um, more so in his life than with my other aunt and uncle. And so I realized that they had this really tremendous thing. And I realized that in their own way, they tried to love me, but just couldn't. And I, and I realized that my identity isn't attached to anybody. And I think I became a lot freer when I realized that we're really not as attached to titles and jobs in people as we think that we are. But once we anchor ourselves into joy and into forgiveness and into life, you know, we bloom anyway, regardless of what's happened. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I really just had to surrender it and be like, okay, you know what, if this is your plan, you know, if this, if this, if this was the destiny that it was always supposed to be, I'm okay with that. And I'm not going to say that it was an easy thing to just let go. Like it took me a lot of time and it took a lot of effort on my, on, on my, on my part. But I think that I just become, I don't know. I think my compassion overran my need for justice. Mm. So when you, and thank you for sharing this, Elizabeth, I mean, everybody's mind's blown right now. My mind's blown. What, aside from empathy and forgiveness, when you think about your life now, number one, what brings you joy now? And what are some of the other lessons that you have learned through your life that you want people to especially know who are watching this and, and listening to this right now? We know that as of this taping right now, we've been going through COVID for two years. We got the Ukrainian war. We've got climate troubles. We got all sorts of, we got Haiti, Cuba, name the place, something's going on with it. People are struggling right now to, 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 to remain hopeful and to find joy in things. So please tell us what you, what you brings you joy and what are some of the other lessons that you learned? Well, I'm pretty simplistic. Um, I I still get excited going to the dollar store and getting pens because it's just the experience, and I and I realize that it's it, you have to you have to appreciate the experience. Maybe not so much the object 
of what you're getting, but you have to you have to appreciate the experience that we take the actual experience for granted, right. right? And so I am very, very much a part of experiencing life. The and moments. The moments yeah. and not so much the objects, but I appreciate the moments in life where I know that I am worthy to love, worthy to receive love and worthy to give love. Yes. Right? Yes. And so that's how I've been able to thrive. It's why I was able to do surrogacy. It's why I've just, you know, I just really love people, right? And I think that, you know, um, there's nothing in life that defines you except how you think of the experience or how you think things should be or determined right and knowing that we each have keys i have keys christopher you have keys you know all of my dear beloved friends they each have keys and so we have to come together and say okay what keys can we bring to the table and share those keys because knowledge isn't supposed to be hoarded it's supposed to be given wisdom is supposed to be given Mm-hmm. be flowers that you plan along the path so people have you know kind of a track to walk towards you know and appreciate you know i remember when my son was born and you know i just heard him cry and it was like wow like just to hear a child crying again in my house was just the biggest blessing for me and i was like yeah you can keep crying like it's fine mm-hmm. like i was just i was just enraptured with him and you know for 18 for 17 years he had no idea what i had gone through i kept wow. him. he thought that i was just a normal mom that just went through a divorce he had no idea what i went through because when i would tell him stories of my childhood i would only tell him good things and i made it seem like it was just one family mm, wow and i did and i and you know and he just he's like mom i had no idea and he's like why didn't you tell me and i was like because it wasn't your burden to carry yet wow I'm giving you these keys now because I want you to understand why I tell you to respect girls, why I tell you to, you know, be patient with sex and be patient with relationships. It's not because I'm being a mom. It's because I'm trying to save you a heartache of, of pain and, and rushing growing up because you're going to get there, but enjoy youth, you know? And he's like, wow, he's like, you're really heroic. And I'm like, no, kid, I'm not heroic. I'm just, I'm just your mom. Like, you're just seeing, (laughs) you know, it's like, I don't know. It's kind of like weird and bizarre for him to say that, but take those moments, you know, and, you know, when the war is over, when the pandemic's over, you know, yeah, they're horrible things, but understand that you can still have good experiences in those moments. And when everything is over, think about what you learned and pass it on because there's probably going to be another pandemic. There's probably going to be another war. There's probably going to be, you know, but what did Holocaust survivors do? You know, they bravely spoke to Steven Spielberg and said, you know, this is our story. And it's very interesting because when you, when you look at the, with, look at the interviews, I spent seven months doing this and they don't necessarily give you the keys right up 
restaurant, you really have to pay attention to the cues that they're giving. Mm -hmm. Got to look through the weeds. Yeah. Yes, they're in the weeds. But if, if mm. you pay attention and if you're brave enough to sit through enough of them, you can get you can get it. But it's all about family. It's all about the experiences. It's all about working. It's all about purpose. It's all about seeing the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. It's all about thankfulness. It's all about joy. It's all about those simple moments of just making a Passover meal because for so long they didn't have that opportunity. It's mm -hmm. about the smallest, tiny things that give us joy. You know, I think about Anne Frank, and in her diary, she wrote, she quoted, I still want, I still believe that people are still good at heart. And you have to understand that even though there's tremendous evil in the world, it doesn't necessarily wipe out the good. People right. are still capable of good. And I am, you know, a villain in some stories and I'm a villain, you know, a hero in some people's stories, like my son's story. And, you know, it, it's, it's all about perception. But if you're a hero in your own heart and you stand up for truth and you stand up for justice, then you've conquered the world. Elizabeth Samboon. Wow. I could talk to you for hours. I always try to keep this show under an hour. Um, you're now a life coach. Talk to us about who you coach, who your ideal market is, how people can get a hold of you. So sure. talk to us about this transformation. You, 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 you told us about your journey. Where are you at today? Who are you helping? Who is your target market and where they, where can they get a hold of you? Sure. So my target market is for life coaches. I'm a personal coach for life coaches because I think that we have this misconception in our society that if you're a doctor, if you're a psychologist, if you're a life coach, then you don't really need any extra mental health. <laughs> yes, and <you> do. <laughs> so this is this is why I, I decided to do this because recently a life coach friend of mine, his wife, he had a stepson and their stepson recently committed suicide. Oh my God. My very first psychologist that I had, his wife committed suicide. They adopted seven kids from Asia and um, Dr. David Brodzinski, his wife ended up committing suicide. And so I think that there is this massive need and a gap because people are like, oh, well, I'm a life coach or I'm a psychologist or I'm a social worker. Oh, I don't need a life coach, right? Or I don't need help. Everybody does. So this is, this is, this is, this is my thing. And so if you're interested in having me as a life coach, you can reach me on Facebook at I'm Elizabeth Sambun. You can reach me on my business page at uh, Elizabeth Sambun, um, like just like the name, the business page. You can find me on Quilting Power. Um, awesome, awesome program. Um, Will Castleman, he is a genius when it comes to getting people together and creating groups to help other people. So it's a whole bunch of experts. So there's me and um, Will is the organizer, but it's basically a quilt saying that like it's a quilt over pain and it's it's a trauma support group, but it's much more than that. We have people that are part of like businesses and, you know, how to start a business and, you know, how to deal with living with somebody who has bipolar, you know, for people who have married somebody with bipolar or have a child with bipolar. We, um, Temple has that. We have we have so many people, how to, how to, you know, adequately go through a divorce. Like we have divorce experts in this room. Wow, so it's great. amazing. It's, it's a powerhouse of, um, 
of a group of women that were organized by Will Castleman. And so if you guys have not connected with Will, I highly suggest you do that. He is a godsend. He is a hero. He is a champion. He is a brilliant mind and a brilliant soul. And his connections are just out of this world. So I, I do that as well. Um, you can email me at eslifecoach at yahoo.com. It's super easy. And so, yeah, so that's, uh, so yeah, I, I am actually taking on clients right now for, for the first time in a while. So if, if people are interested, I would, I would really like to connect with them and change their lives as much as my life has been changed. Elizabeth. Wow. 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 We got Robert sitting here saying, he goes, this is where my path is leading. Yes, yes, yes. And lots of different, uh, emoticons. We got the praying hands. We got hundred percent. We got fire. We got Fox. I think we got cool sunglasses. Um, yes. And he says that every moment matters greatly is accepted. Um, yes. I mean, it, it is truly all about the moments. And to your point, Elizabeth, one of the biggest awakenings that I had when you were talking about, you know, thinking about, um, you know, the Holocaust survivors and thinking about when somebody handed me a book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. I love that book. I own that book. I've almost memorized that book. I oh, love yeah. that I, book. I have all my coaching clients read it because a lot of my coaching clients think that it's, you know, that person makes me angry and this person makes me sad and this person does this and this thing does this. And in that book, Viktor Frankl so eloquently states that you could put me through anything, but you cannot make me decide how I'm going to feel about that situation. He said, you know, I'm in this miserable situation, but I could choose to to go to my brain and see my happy place and see the fact that I'm going to be reunited with my wife and, and all these different things. So when I read that book, I've, I bought the book, I've given it out as presents. So when you were talking about that and doing seven, seven months of research, man, I just, I give you so many props. I appreciate you for being here on the raw and scripted show for shining your light, for sharing your vulnerable, vulnerable story. And uh, I just appreciate Oh, you guys get my autobiography too. I wrote an autobiography. It's called Elevators of My Life by Elizabeth Slumbone. And it is on Amazon. So you can get a hardback book. It also won, it actually won an award. It won an impact award for 2021. Nice. Do me a favor, Elizabeth, because you didn't give me that link. Um, yeah. After this is over, go back and post it on the YouTube and the Facebook. Yeah, for so sure. people can I will. Absolutely. Thank yes, you so yes, much. we want to. Okay, I'm going to place you backstage for a second and close out awesome. the show. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. That is the Raw and Unscripted Show, and that is Elizabeth Samboon. Uh, what a tremendous story, right? When I told you guys at the beginning of the show to fasten your seatbelts, I was dead serious because when you think about what it is that we go through and we grow through, and you think about Elizabeth's story, there is so many opportunity right there for anger, resentment, hatred, victimization, you know, pity party, excuse after excuse after excuse, and everything else. And you saw, you saw her deliberate intention to say, how can I see this from their, their perspective and not mine? And I've told you guys this on my show before. The way I was able to see my mother differently is I asked myself a very important question. You guys know I love questions. I said, if I went through all the different experiences that my mother had gone through, might I be like her? And I thought about it. I was, if I was raised by her mom, if I went through all those different experiences, might I be like her? Not exactly like her because we all have freedom of will, freedom of choice, but might I be like her? Might I have her perspectives? If I read all the books that she read with the intention of how she read them to fix herself and to create a different identity, might I be like her? Yes. And I think that's what Elizabeth has done. Elizabeth says, you know, what type of injury did you go through? You know, hurt people, hurt people. And thinking about that and having that empathy and compassion, we're never going to forget the things that have happened to us. I'm never going to forget the things that happened to me. However, like she said, with her research on the Holocaust survivors, I can choose how I respond to those things. I can choose how I, you know, sometimes we react 
And we say, oh, this, this is that, la, 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 la. this is the reason why I'm this. Or we respond and say, hey, listen, this is the reason why I'm like this. I'm the reason I am today for all the different things that I went through and I grew through. I am the reason I am the, the way I am today because of all the books and the, and the coaches and the people that I surround myself with and I invest myself in. I've got mentors who I can call at any moment of the day. And trust me, I have been using those mentors a lot lately. You know, we all have challenges. And like she said, you know, she's a life coach for life coaches. We all need somebody out there. I am, I, 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 hug, I, 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 I was trying to think of three different things to say at once. And I was trying to pick which one, you know, I sit there and I coach high end achievers, you know, people who need a professional best friend out there. So we all need somebody. If you don't have somebody in your life, you need to make sure that you do. You need to make sure you have a team, somebody that you trust, somebody who empowers you, somebody holds you accountable and somebody who's your mentor. And they cannot be the same person. And let me repeat that. They cannot be the same person because when you have mentors and you have coaches in your life for specific reasons, for, for specific challenges, then you rise above those challenges. And like Elizabeth said, then you can go back and help other people, right? This world needs you. This world needs me. This world needs all of us to shine our light, to share our gifts, to fly our freak flag, to have empathy and forgiveness for the things that have wronged us in the past. Because if we choose to, they can be the things that build us up in the future. And right now there's a lot of building going on. So I encourage you to go out there and do your building, go out there, do your research. If you don't have money for a coach, if you don't have, there is countless, countless hours of information on YouTube and Google. You can go find out anything that you need to. If you're having financial issues, which I know a lot of people are, I ask them, what are you doing as far as research to, to fix your financial issues? Have you talked to an expert? No. No, I just sit around and hoping, wishing and praying that something changes. You have to go out there and do the work on your own. You have to go out there and give it your best. You have to go out there and process it your way to get through that, to be able to get on the other side, to become stronger, to become kick-ass unstoppable, ladies and gentlemen. With that, I love you guys. Go out there, be awesome. We'll be back here next Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the Ron and Scripted Show. And if you are watching this and you have not subscribed to the podcast, please go subscribe to the podcast right now. Go type in Ron and Scripted Podcast. You'll find it on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, tunes, wherever it is that you get it, please do me a solid and take a screenshot once you subscribe to it. So I can say thank you. I love you guys. We'll see you here next week. Connect with, we'll connect with Elizabeth and uh, we'll see you here next week on the Ron and Scripted show. Peace.